0: I mean, in two and a half months, roughly, Jerry, it's gone from 5% to 97.6. I mean, even in the archives, the Braves last year, roughly a week before the deadline, had a 7% chance. The one thing that I've noticed with George is that no matter what it is, it could be shaping a pitch. It could be roughly anything athletically. And and on the day that uh, Julio called me and asked, uh, roughly asked for our blessing and uh we've we've rough we've been the best team in the american league by wins and losses and those were four and a half roughlys from last week's wheelhouse podcast with jerry depoto two from goldsmith and two and a half from mariners general manager or president of baseball operations whatever head honcho jerry depoto the half there could possibly be jerry catching himself uh, for saying roughly so often Uh, we may be getting to him folks and i am brandon boyd host of roughly a podcast and speaking of half we have half of our roster today as it is our first solo pod in quite a while my co-host phil Smeraldo, my better half is not here today he's uh doing work shit as we would like to say in the biz here and uh, so it's just me today phil rejoin the club uh, next week so roughly another banger of a game last night Uh, cal raleigh getting two big insurance runs late in the uh, game in the top of the ninth last night and currently, Luis Castillo is uh, throwing somewhat of a gem. He's got spanked by Elo Jimenez a little bit. But the M's are up uh, 4-2 in the bottom of the fourth as we speak and as we record. So we might uh, not get all the way through. We probably won't get through all the way through this game. So if something wild happens, I will update you as it happens. But uh, for the most part, just uh, talking about the last week or so in Mariners' Dome. So some news and notes since the last time we spoke. Uh, the Mariners swept Detroit in it kind of a taking care of business type series. That's what you should do. But we've said that the Mariners should do against teams like Detroit. Um, ever since we kind of looked at the schedule for the second half of the year where it's shaping up quite nicely, it's basically hang tight against the pretty good teams and uh, destroy the bad teams. They did the des- destruction of Detroit and then they got a little bonus destruction. And when they slept swept uh, the Cleveland guardians um, basically just the note for, the entire Midwest is get a roof, right? Treat it like a casserole dish. Uh, you're going to love it. Get it a roof over your stadium so we don't have what happened um, in the uh, the last game of that series in Cleveland where the game got rained out uh, and postponed and delayed and all of those things. And you end up having an eight-hour game uh, that the Mariners were desperately trying to finish and just get through five innings that ended up going nine. Uh, it was kind of a clusterfuck. And so all of those Midwest stadiums Need a roof. Basically, if your stadium is not in uh, Los Angeles, San Diego, Florida or Texas or Arizona, you need a roof over your stadium if you're going to be playing baseball um, and taken seriously. So that's just my my bully pulpit there. But uh, the then the Mariners lost the first start against Chicago in some part uh, that is is incalculable due to the lack of rest um, from that last game against Cleveland. And uh, so they return home, lose that first game, and then won the the aforementioned really fun game, 3-0 last night. Um, uh, In the middle of that game, Phil was actually at both of those first two Chicago games, um, had himself a very good time. So as we sit here uh, in the middle of game three against Chicago in this series, the playoff picture uh, is such where the Mariners have one more win and one more loss than the Tampa Bay Rays. And there's a microscopic distance between the Mariners and Tampa where the Mariners are looking up at Tampa, for the first wild card spot um, in the AL wildcard race. And they are also up one and a half games over Toronto for the third spot um, in the AL wildcard. And then also up five games over Baltimore for the last spot. So even if the Mariners let uh, Toronto catch them, they'd still be healthily up over um, the Baltimore Orioles for the last spot there. Also, in this, uh, some transactional news, Taylor Trammell and Matt Boyd were called up as the two September call-ups. We kind of expected that. Um, there was some some talk of a, of a Mason McCoy joining the team. That didn't really happen, um, so unclear what the deal was there. I think they were a little bit more worried that uh, J.P. Crawford was going to have to miss some time, and uh, that didn't end up being really the case uh, too much with his kind of shoulder, uh, whatever issue that was. And uh, so instead we got uh, Trammell and Matt Boyd, which is our prediction on this week's podcast. Last bit of news. George Kirby is your AL rookie of the month in August. Uh, The great month from him uh, probably had a a strong contention to be the pitcher of the month as well, Uh, but we'll take rookie. And uh, the innings limit that he is, you know, was imposed upon him or is, is kind of out there. And the reason the Mariners kind of jockeyed him around um, around the all-star break to get him some extra rest time in Tacoma has not really been a factor at all. And uh, we'll see if that comes up um, and, and what that looks like he was actually the starter in that delayed uh, Cleveland game. And so he, he left after just a few innings there. I'm sure the Mariners weren't uh, too upset that um, he didn't have to go much farther in that game and they were still able to win uh, in there as well. So Interesting stuff there, and uh, we'll talk after the break about some other kind of developments in the, uh, the last little bit of the season here and what needs to happen. But first, a word from our sponsors, Elm Coffee Roasters. All right, so you've heard me talk plenty over the last few weeks about the uh, delicious, refreshing, tasty, robust flavors of Elm Coffee Roasters, coffee uh, sent directly to my home. I had the Kenya Handiji, I plowed through that bag, and now I've gotten into the Nine Swans um, of, of their coffees. really like that one, too, as my mom described last week uh, on, on this exact segment. It's a it's a very smooth and refreshing cup. doesn't taste too, um, you know, it's a little bit more mild than the Kenya Handigi might be, uh, but it's ultimately uh, still a very bold cup of coffee that um, kind of is, you know, a, a step up from like your normal cup of joe. Um, you know, drip stuff in the morning. So that's great. Loving that. But to, uh, you know, be a little different in these ads as I tend to, and I might stress the people out at Elm uh, with uh, how much I vary from a, a script in these every week. But I wanted to put together an all coffee team. So this is a bunch of guys, one through nine in the baseball order, uh, who have coffee names. And uh, so we'll go pitcher all the way through the outfield here of guys who uh, have coffee-themed names. So without further ado, your starting pitcher is JT Brewbreaker, a current starter for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Brewing and baking, I mean, that's, that's the recipe for a great uh, coffee shop along with some delicious pastries. Your bullpen is actually, um, uh, there's a lot of guys that could really fit in here, but there's two names, Todd Coffee, I mean, how could I not, Todd Coffey was the big fella famous for sprinting from the bullpen to the mound. Um, he had actually was a former Mariner, never made the club, uh, but uh, pitched with the Brewers. Go figure. And uh, the uh, Washington Nationals, uh, in addition to I think the Dodgers. But then the other one in our bullpen is George Cuppy, a fellow who pitched from 1892 to 1901 for the Cleveland Spiders, St. Louis Perfectos, Boston Bean Eaters, another coffee a little reference there, and the Boston Americans. Uh, his last name is Cuppy. I don't need to say anything else. Catcher, Jim French, as in French roast, was a former catcher, current lawyer at French and French. That's his uh, law firm's name. First baseman, we have Chet Brewer, a Negro League player who went on to become a scout for the Pittsburgh Pirates and a minor league manager and coach. Um, So ready to go, Chet. Second base, we have Joe Morgan, as in Cup of Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan should need no introduction to any baseball fan. Uh, He was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Tremendous second baseman, 2,500 hits in his career, and uh, also a very accomplished um, and uh, notorious color commentator for ESPN um, for a long time. Third base, we have Jack Coffey, so another Coffey last name. That's C-O-F-F-E-Y. He was a legendary coach at Fordham University and the only player to play in a Major League Baseball season with both Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth in in 1918. Shortstop, Charlie Brewster, probably the weakest spot on this team. Not a lot on this guy, but... He was a coffee name who filled a position. So moving on, your three outfielders, we have Billy Bean, who is, yes, the money ball, Billy Bean, who was selected 23rd overall in the 1990 or sorry, 1980 MLB draft by the New York Mets played briefly in the majors, but was ultimately somewhat of a disappointment and has had much more success, obviously, on the front office side of things. There's another Billy Bean, though. Uh, So two Billy Beans in our coffee, all coffee outfield. Uh, This Billy Bean played for the Tigers, Dodgers and Padres. He was the second MLB player to come out as gay when he announced uh, that he uh, he was gay in 1999. And the third outfielder is Tom Cafego, who uh, played four games for the St. Louis Browns in 1937 and then later lost his arm in WW2. So we have. JT Brubaker, Todd Coffee, George Cuppy, Jim French, Chet Brewer, Cup of Joe Morgan, Jack Coffee, Charlie Brewster, Billy Bean, Billy Bean again, and Tom Cafego. That is your all coffee team. If you would like to get your hands on some Elm coffee roasters, coffee, you can do so uh, by ordering them on their website. That's Elm, E L M, coffee roasters.com. When you order, and it's your first order, you can punch in the promo code roughly for 25% off your entire order. So go to elmcoffeeroasters.com, snag yourself some coffee, uh, blend it up at home and uh, enjoy some of the best coffee you'll ever have. Back to the show. All right. Uh, back to our regular scheduled programming here. Um, big stretch. Uh, we'll talk about our first out of the uh, three out segment, big stretch coming down the pipeline here for the Mariners. Obviously this game that they're in right now, the rubber match against Chicago is a huge one to win this series um, and uh, rebound from an inauspicious start here, where uh, you didn't have a lot of rest and you had to play basically everybody to get through that Cleveland series. Uh, then they will have three games in, against Atlanta, who, outside of the Dodgers, might be baseball's best team. And I think if you're if you're the LA Dodgers, Atlanta probably scares you a little bit more um, than does the than do the Mets or even the Cardinals, um, because Atlanta is just so talented. I mean, Albie Zacunha, Um, you know, the the mainstays, but then Austin Riley has been an amazing revelation this year at third base. And then along comes Michael Harris, uh, an outfield prospect who might be the best rookie hitter and already one of the best hitting outfielders in baseball. And then uh, uh, Spencer Strider, their rookie uh, starting pitcher, the Mariners will avoid Spencer Strider, but that's still a very tough Atlanta team um, who the Mariners will be hosting here after Chicago. And they will then have, two games against Juan Soto and the Padres. Luckily all five of those games, uh, the uh, the Braves and Padres series are both at home. And then you have four games against the Los Angeles and angels of Anaheim. Um, And if you've been listening to this pod or following the Mariners for long enough, even this season, uh, a long series against the angels is a very daunting thing. Uh, That was a very tough series that the Mariners had. I think it's the five game series right before the Mariners kind of turned things around in late June, against the angels where they uh, lost four of those five. So that would be a very, very important series for the Mariners um, to at least hang tight in. Um, And so this next, uh, including Chicago game plus those five against Atlanta and San Diego and uh, the four against the angels are huge, huge games of these last 10 here. So go six and four, you know, even seven and three fantastic. But I think even just hanging on and going five and five um, is, is totally acceptable. But after that, Mariners have 16 games against teams with a win percentage of 400, 437 or less. I believe they end with, in some combination, uh, the Royals, the A's, the Tigers, um, and the Texas Rangers. So teams that um, are probably jockeying for draft picks and playing a bunch of young players and um, not seriously competing. And so the Mariners, even if they kind of stumble or just hold steady in these next 10 games, should be able to really clean up clean up against uh, against those teams. So interesting part of the schedule standing up here because um, we are in the home stretch. I mean, that, that's it. There's like 26 games left in the whole season. Um, and then we might get into that scary P word um, that we've never been in before. So that's what's up. The Mariners are up against. Let's talk about some three different guys here to end this show. Uh, talk about JP Crawford, Eric Swanson, and Matt Brash. We kind of do this from time to time. We just kind of pick, you know, guys that we haven't talked about in a while. Um, sometimes it's because there's a very specific reason to talk about them because they've just done something amazing. And sometimes it's just time for, for us to talk about a guy that we haven't discussed in a while. So those three guys, like I said, J.P. Crawford, Swanson, and Brash, starting with Crawford. The question that I had here for Phil before um, you know we we had decided to go solo this week was just what is J.P. Crawford, right? And And the answer might be this, and that's totally fine because what he is right now, um in terms of the positives, is a, a a wonderful player, right? An excellent defensive shortstop. I don't you know he's he's just continues to make uh, really amazing plays. There might have been a, a slight lapse in his defense earlier in the season, but uh, lately it just feels like he's making one or two plays a game that are uh, legitimately remarkable. um and and that's that's a fantastic um you know, thing to have as a shortstop. He's also cool as hell. I mean, that's just undeniable. he's a, uh, a superstar in terms of of swag and just like the energy he brings i think to to the team he's a team leader i think he's very well liked in the clubhouse um and then as an actual baseball player and as a hitter he makes great swing decisions right he's a fantastic on-base guy um, he's always kind of been that basically since the mariners got a hold of him and then uh, this year he's actually probably been his best kind of uh swing take version of himself but the negatives We've been saying the same things about J.P. Crawford in this category for for three years now. He does not hit the ball hard. Um, you know his his power isn't there. He's not able to um, really lace the ball into gaps. Right, if he if he hits a, a base hit, it's basically you know going to go through the infield, um, and you know or a, a blooper like he had the other night for almost the game tying double that type of thing. And it's it's too bad because um, if he just had five percent more pop. Uh, this is probably a very, very, you know, could be touching a five win player um, and said this is, you know, topping around a three or uh, maybe three and a half at the best version of himself type player. And so that is the is the crux, right? He's only 27 years old. There's still probably a lot of room to grow. Um, but I think, uh, you know, every every offseason, it sounds like J.P. Crawford is um, getting bigger and stronger and all those things. But we really haven't seen it mature, um, you know, materialize into the result that we all want, which is just a little more pop from JP. So if this is the best version of JP, it's not amazing, but if this is your nine hole hitter, um, I think that's more than okay. Given everything else that he gives you um, that we talked about from uh, the start of this uh, segment with JP, he also signed a five-year $51 million deal before the season even started. So I think he is your shortstop. In going forward, right? I, I don't necessarily see the Mariners um, unless JP's production really falls off and none of the good stuff is there anymore, or he, um, you know, starts being a little more swing happy and, and still can't, you know, drive the ball. That might be a problem. But if this is what he is and this is just kind of who he is, I think you keep him at shortstop no matter what. And then if there's one of these middle infield guys that the Mariners would like to splurge on perhaps in this offseason, Trey Turner, Xander, Xander Bogarts as two potential names that those guys uh, would potentially move to play second base or play somewhere else um, on the team, because uh, I, I it's hard. It's harder. It's a it shortstop in terms of power and, and production um, is kind of, it's harder to find that, that level of production. So I think you'd keep Crawford there and then ask one of those guys to move, but who knows, you might see JP Crawford become a second baseman um, to accommodate one of those types of players, but he's a great guy to have in the lineup. It's just, he does have a drawback, which is the, um, the pop. And if again, nine hole hitter, we can take that. uh, If you can build out the rest of the lineup, that's JP, Eric Swanson. This is Eric Swanson appreciation hour. Uh, We have barely talked about him all year. I actually don't really know if we've spent any dedicated time for Eric Swanson, but he has been nails. He has an ERA just over one um, over the whole course of the season. I think that has really escalated because he gave up exactly one run um, just uh, earlier in the Cleveland series. Um, he's top 15 in terms of Fangraphs war among all relievers in baseball right there with, uh, with Andres Munoz and uh, you know, a little more splitter usage this year for like what has changed about Eric Swanson from last year to this year, where you know, it was kind of an afterthought last year. Like it wasn't um, nearly a part of the Mariners high leverage kind of rotation with Castillo and Seawald and um, even JT Ch- Chagua at a certain point last year. Um, so he, what did he do differently? Like I said, throwing the splitter a little bit more, um, but he's really just a better version of himself. He's throwing more strikes um, and getting less hard contact against him. Um, if you look at kind of where he's locating his pitches, his fastball is more up in the zone and then his splitter is more down in the zone. And that's just kind of how he's been able to uh, to really refine where his pitches go um, from, from from those two pitches and really dial those in Is those are the two, my two best pitches. And uh, that's what I do. <laughs> I throw the fastball up in the zone very well and uh, in up high and tight where it's very hard for haters to get to it, even though they want to. And then uh, I throw that splitter and, you know, you're going to swing and miss at it or make weak contact. And the funny thing about Swanson is that, uh, you know, he is kind of the last chip left in the James Paxton trade. Uh, Paxton was traded kind of one of the first uh, moves in the opening salvo of, of uh, tear down trades. And in, in, I think that was late 2018 before the 2019 season. Um, Mike Zinno went first and then it was James Paxton to the Yankees and came back uh, in that deal was Swanson along with Justice Sheffield um, and Dom Thompson Williams. And really nobody out of that group other than Swanson has has been able to do much. I mean, uh, Justice Sheffield had a, a promising rookie year um, and that has been pretty much bad since then. And we're not able to to make much headway up uh, up the minor leagues. Dom Thomas Williams has kind of faded a bit, and then obviously James Paxton. I think is is it was assigned by the the Red Sox, but has not pitched um, this whole year. And uh, so Swanson, being just one of the guys at the start of the year in terms of um, you know being on the opening day roster, would not have picked him to have this type of season. Um, you thought he could have been one of the guys that, like when Ken Giles got healthy, he would have replaced. And now here he is, is probably you know, Seawald Munoz and then Swanson might be your third most trustworthy reliever at this point, um, which is pretty cool that they were able to to reclaim some value of him, a guy that was always tantalizing, uh, but just couldn't all put it together. And this is what put together Eric Swanson looks like. And it's it's pretty cool. Another guy who's had struggles and in in the bullpen is Matt Brash. And we really haven't had a chance to talk about uh, what Matt Brash has become and what he looks like the, the Bombero version of Matt Brash, where he is strictly a reliever. Obviously he started the season as a starter and then uh, was way too wild, sent down to AAA and then was, was moved to become a, a full-time reliever. And uh, there's, there's glimpses here as to why Matt Brash, I think when he comes in is scary, right? Because the, the potential to blow up and, and, you know, leave some guys on base and um, all of a sudden put you in danger of giving up that three run home run or, uh, having a kind of a wild inning always seems to be there, uh, but God, the the stuff is just so so electric when he can get it right. Um, his uh, his post bullpen move stats: he's a strikeout rate of just under twelve guys per nine innings. Um, his his walk rate is still just under four, so not great, but much much better than what it was uh, before he uh, before he was sent down. Um, and so his ERA since he got up. Again, ERA of 1.77. His FIP is 1.78, which is telling you um, he's not getting gypped and uh, you know he's not kind of overperforming anything there. So he's he's pitching well, and it's there's no there's no like you know immediately anything that which suggests that um, some sort of regression is coming. He's basically pitching exactly as well as he should is what that uh, that split indicator would tell you. And then uh, just some some kind of interesting nuggets about like you know has he fixed the uh, the, the Matt Rash wilderness uh, issue that we saw earlier in the year. His, uh, his I think, outside his O's swing percentage. So basically the uh, amount of times or percentage that opponents are swinging at his pitches outside of the strike zone before he got sent down, 25%. After, 36%. His zone swing percentage, so the amount of times that guys are swinging um, at his pitches in the zone before he got sent down, 61%. After 54 and a half, basically what that says is that uh, guys before were not swinging at anything that Matt Brash was throwing outside of the zone because they did not trust um, that he was going to be able to hit the the strike zone, right? They just kind of let him throw fastballs in the zone and then swung on them early and often when they got the chance because they knew they were hittable. Now this, you know, not fixed, but better version of Matt Brash is much more able to get guys to bite on, on the, the, uh, off-speed stuff that kind of nibble around the zone stuff. And then, uh, guys are swinging less at the zone stuff because they're just not sure what's about to come. So that is the, the, you know, hope with Matt Brash is that he can do both. He can nibble. And then that, that, uh, overpowering fastball is always able or available to him to throw in the zone. Uh, whereas before it was just kind of a, Um, you know, a a hitting off the tee situation whenever he had to throw a fastball because he's down two nothing in the count. It's the only thing that he can get in the zone. So, good stuff on Matt Brash. Um, still not perfect by any means. He still scares the shit out of Phil and I whenever he comes in in a high leverage situation like he did last night, but um, he has shown a lot of growth and uh, it's hard to know what the Mariners' long term plans are for him because they've had to change his whole pitching routine and I'm sure his workout routine to make him be more of a max effort, one or two inning guy than he he was as a starter. Um, and so this, uh, this, this will be an interesting thing to track, not just the rest of this season, but what do they see Matt Brash as going forward? Is he a reliever? Is he a starter? Um, is he kind of a, a pivot guy, a three inning guy like the, how the Astros use Christian Javier? Um, we shall see. So that's it. That's uh that's kind of the rundown here on this week's episode. So we'll get to our normal closing segments, which is our uh, Eric Burns bike ride of the week. And then our golden hydro of the week bike ride this week goes to owners of baseball teams in the Midwest, uh, the tigers, even though, um, I know I love Comerica park or Comerica field there. Um, and uh, the guardians and the white Sox, all of you, all of you need uh, the, the, the domes or sliding roofs over your stadiums, right? It's, it's expensive. It is so worth it because you don't have these um, ridiculous rain out games. You don't have pl- guys trying to play through rain, Um, and at risk of getting hurt. And you don't have fans who paid a lot of money to go see a game and then have it get postponed. And then they can, you know, go make it up at a doubleheader. Not going to happen, right? Uh, It's an investment and it's worth it. Just use the same tech that the Mariners did to build theirs. My Hydro this week goes to Robbie Ray, um, who we talked about last week had a wonderful month of August as, uh, you know, I think five starts. Mariners won four of them. He was fantastic. Uh, But this particular note is for him, getting his protein in, in the middle of a start last week. So uh, this note was from Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times about a funny little thing that happened to Robbie Ray as he was pitching against the Guardians over the weekend. Here's Divish. Making his 27th start of the season, Ray's pitched six scoreless innings, allowing six hits with no walks and three strikeouts to improve to 12 and eight on the season and lower his ERA to 345. It also included Ray swallowing a large bug, likely a mayfly, in the fourth inning, leaving him coughing and spitting. Has he ever eaten a bug in a game before? Quote from Ray. I don't think so, he said. I ate one about a month ago in the backyard playing with the kids, but never in a game. Pause right here from, from Brandon. Um, unclear whether Robbie Ray ate this bug with his kids because he wanted to be a cool dad. of Like, oh, look what I can do. I can eat a freaking bug. Or if uh, it was another accidental situation. Uh, but if it's an accident, Robbie Ray eating two bugs – in a month span is, is a uh, really unfortunate. So, um, Robbie Ray, maybe a mouth breather, I think is what we're, we're getting out of this needs to uh, leave it a little more tight so that, uh, this, you know, this doesn't keep happening to him. Uh, but he seems pretty okay with it. Um, it going on to the story with Divish, it didn't seem to affect his signature grunting. Uh, I kind of just went all the way down. He said I was taking a deep breath in and it just sucked it in. It caught me off guard a little bit. So Robbie Ray mouth breather, grunter bug eater, um, ace i think is the the last little thing we can say about him so that's it folks uh, appreciate the uh listen through the solo pods these are um, n- never the uh the goal right to do these i would much rather talk to phil uh, but i think they're good in between just kind of run through some quick stuff with the mariners hope you liked the show today you can leave a five-star review at uh spotify apple whatever uh, always helps the show helps us reach more people and uh buckle up folks we are in it for the stretch run go M's. See you next week.